0: all that domestic data about every channel, linear or digital, every telco, every broadband, consumption, GDP, disposable income, trend analysis, candidly, while the others that are in this space are super good and many are close friends and mentors of mine, no one can beat us on the data part.
1: Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports and media, entertainment, entertainment, who knows, blockchain, whatever we want to talk about. I'm Joe Favorito, along with my co-host Tom Richardson. Tom, welcome back to the beginning of April.
2: Did someone say blockchain? I don't let's, know. Let's discuss. Uh, I,
1: a, I actually have a Lego block on my table. Maybe that's what. Right. See, I have a right. Joe, here. as I you know, I'm getting
2: a little obsessed with this topic. Yeah. Um, we'll have to save save um, a deeper dive for for a, a time when we have a guest who specializes in that area. Yeah of that business, but it's good to be back with you as we enter a a new month, a month of renewal and hope. April, it's the first show of April.
1: And certainly April, 2021, certainly when you look at the absolute bonkers last four or five days in sports time, you had rumors of the San Diego Chargers being sold, Genius Sports kicking sport radar out of the NFL. You had um, the Mets right now, as we sit, the Mets, the only, one of the only undefeated teams in baseball because they haven't played a <laughs> game and God knows when they will. Um, just a, a slew of deals that were happening to the point where our good friend, Scott Soschnick was scooping things and then putting big scoop on it. So I was going to ask him if the right. next one was going to be extra
2: special Sunday when he was announcing <laughs> things during right. the week. And, so. and Joe, you're leaving out one, one of my favorite stories of the week. Uh, from a from a media standpoint, not just a business standpoint, was the hearing for SCOTUS regarding NCAA, Alston yeah, yeah. Yeah. versus yeah. Uh, NCAA. So yeah. I was tipped off somewhere online about the fact that that hearing was streaming live on the C-SPAN site. So yeah. I checked it out and lo and behold, live SCOTUS hearing, press play. And I was watching the hearing with Jeffrey Kessler and the and the lawyer, I mean, it was really interesting and getting to see the real time back and forth um, juxtaposed against all the hype around March Madness moving into Final Four weekend, which we're on the verge of right now. And obviously you probably heard, followed the story closely as well. It didn't really go too well for NCAA, but I just thought that was a really fascinating thing that you can watch a stream. As I said to Carla, sports streaming, the law version, (laughs) it's an interesting Uh,
1: one. Anyway, and then of course, you know, there are games being played in various places. And, you know, both the NFL, the NFL has said that they're going to have some kind of draft in person. The WNBA has said, no, we're going to go back online and do it as virtual. Um, And, you know, we are obviously not out of this yet, but the, the chaos has ensued. The dollars are flowing, the deals are being done. So let's talk about him, Dan. Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Let's talk about him, Tom. Yes. Who's you, joining you, you,
2: you slipped there. I slipped. I blew it. So, well, we have a, yes. a returning champion coming. A today. returning champion. And him. So, yep. Uh, joining us
1: today for the second time, although the first time was just with you, Tom, and I think it was probably three years ago, is um, someone that we've worked with on and off in various places, but obviously are great admirers of his burgeoning career, um, and now at Octagon, doing all kinds of very interesting things on the new business development front. Dan, Daniel Cohen, welcome to the Cusp Show once again.
0: Joe, thank you. Tom, thank you for having me. I like that he went with Daniel. I feel like, like, you know, my mom was calling me
1: people yeah. refer to you like when you're quoted in 10,000 publications Dan it's usually Daniel now so i thought maybe you, you kind of changed it up so Upgraded. right
2: well, but joe joe'll always be dc to us so right exactly keep it, keep it casual we don't we, we don't want to you know build up his ego slaving away in the back throw. alleys of bloomberg sports somewhere That's right so let's just spend a second on that because I, I, it's just occurring to me that i believe it was 10 or 11 years ago that you were at bloomberg dan when no. Joe was helping Bill Squadron and you, and I was involved as a 14 consultant. Fourteen years ago, was it really? Yeah. Oh my God. Oh wait, the Bloomberg Sports. No, the products launched what 2010 or 11 or something.
0: Yeah, but I I joined with the original original four guys uh, at the end of 2007.
2: Wow. I,
1: I think there's some kind of oral history that needs to be done, like on the ringer about the history of Bloomberg Sports and where people have gone. By
0: the way. Yeah. So, it, it, anyway. It, it, uh, I'll say this, I I am so incredibly proud of of the guys and the gals that I got to work with there. They're doing huge things. Mm -hmm. Like individually, everyone is, I mean, huge companies, massive innovations, be it Disney streaming services or Facebook or Samsung, uh, AWS. I mean, people have gone on to do some really awesome stuff. Elon, <laughs> yeah, Elon <laughs> University for sure. University.
2: Anyway, well, I got I got asked one of last question about Bloomberg Sports. W- what the heck is Bloomberg gonna do when they go back to the office? Since they used to have people packed in like sardines in every available square foot of space they had on Lexington Avenue, how's that gonna work then?
0: Well, so it's interesting you say that because I still have a lot of friends that are there at 731 Lex, and uh, apparently during COVID of recent, they've really upped the the pantry game. So to mm, entice nice. people to come back, they've now got <laughs> restaurants from all over the neighborhood really uh, bringing in bringing in lunch. Wow! Uh, mm. And then they're they're going to go like most places. We're we're going to have some variation of this too uh, at Octagon and and the greater interpublic parent company where we'll have days of the week that we rotate in and rotate out and we will uh, of course be looking forward to getting back on the road too and a lot of people traveling again and as soon as vaccines are are rolled out and full so I think it's it's really just more of a, a chess game at this point.
2: Dan, how are you, how have you been handling on that in that regard? Let's we'll get into the business stuff in a second, but you guys have been working remotely. I assume you have a global agenda. You are the SVP after all of global. I wrote this down. It's such a big title. I got it
1: wrong. Something's global
2: Media Rights Consulting Division. Uh, implying that you're looking at deals and doing deals all over the world, which we'll talk about in a second, but you've been managing to handle that okay during the lockdown through Zoom and uh, the the digital means available to you?
0: We we have been, I'd be lying if I told you it was easy like anyone else. I think the great equalizer is when you run a global group like I do uh, and you've got global colleagues and global clients, as terrible as it is that, COVID has become a, a universal pandemic. It does equal the playing field, right? It is the great equalizer. Mm-hmm. So when I'm on a call with the president of the Thai Football Federation, or I'm on a call with uh, the, the head of media rights for the French Football League, like we're all home. We're all home. So there is at least that mm-hmm. kind of equal playing field. I'm, I'm not necessarily at a disadvantage compared to others uh, who 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 are also at home. But, but yeah, a lot of what we do, Tom, is global. 63% of our client base are outside of the U.S. They are wow. properties, leads, federations, teams. They are uh, digital startups uh, trying to figure out and navigate their own content strategy. They're telcos trying to figure out their own content strategy uh, that are mostly headquartered outside the U.S., and then we've got a lot of private equity fund clients in the US, but looking at outside the US opportunities that require us to make a lot of very early morning calls or very late night video calls with teams or leagues that are looking to bring on private capital.
2: And to be clear, you you do consulting for both the buy side and the sell side, correct?
0: We do, we're very deliberate about conflicts and, and mitigating conflict so we'll we'll never we'll never work for a you know property XY or Z in France while at the same time be assisting um, Canal Plus or or RT you know or, or anybody uh, for, for what that's worth Le Keep or any of the telcos or anything like that. So we'll never be on both sides of the deal. Um, and the strategy work that we tend to do for the platform side is usually a a big, broad. It's not like a, hey, go get me this property to fill in for my programming window. Uh, Right now, we've got a a client we're working with. They're a rather large audio streaming company trying to sort their way through the business of live audio sports, uh, right? And so that project is boiling the ocean, looking at 20,000 plus sports leagues Around the world, they've given us their five, six KPIs. We helped them to create that, right? So you then you build the sausage maker, the model. The guys that I work with that are way smarter than me, and they're putting all their regression analysis and all their model building and Excel that makes me have to wear glasses even longer. Um, and then that's going to spit out based on their their variables. You know, the top twenty-five live audio rights that that they should go get and. Um, So it's not necessarily like, hey, help us go get Major League Baseball's audio rights, or help us go get um, Copa America's audio rights. It's really much, uh, usually what we do, be it, you know, I can talk about some previous clients, Verizon or Twitter. um, It's usually um, much more expansive. It's not direct. So there's, there's not typically any conflict. And then the other area that we make sure to, resolve any conflict or stay clear of is clearly on the on the PE side. So we're never going to advise a PE shop on an investment of a league or a team that we are already advising. Right. on their media rights. Right.
2: So it's highly data driven the analysis you do for either side of the absolutely uh, of the of the uh, of the arrangement how hard is it to normalize the data you're collecting and, and looking into, because you're talking about lots of different media platforms, obviously these days, and not only just in a specific country, but um, some ones that are completely, um, literally foreign to the kinds of metrics and, an al- and analytical aspects that we've come to get used to in the US.
0: That is like, the best question you can ask because that that's the whole reason, candidly, that I, came to octagon to start this thing up almost four years ago i said if there's not a usp what are we doing there's 30 other media... everyone's a media consultant there's 35 right. 50 60 70 guys and gals who quite frankly have been doing it longer than i have and and who have had historical relationships longer than i have and and been in the business longer than octagon has so what's what is it that's going to differentiate us and What really got me excited and what has proven so far, knock on wood, to be be the right strategy is the the data differentiator for us. We have the unique advantage, Tom, of being the sports arm of Interpublic Group. So one, I don't know, second, third, fourth, largest hold co of media and marketing agencies in the world is 55,000 people that every day are looking at media analytics and doing media math be it linear, digital, or social, audio, et cetera. And they're breaking down consumer trends and they're understanding fan behavior and audience behavior um, and the pricing that goes into that and the valuations that go into that in every country in the world. IPG pretty much has an office in every country in the world. So the benefit for me is when I when I bring on a client, say, um, uh, We just closed nearly a $400 million deal in Thailand last year, a landmark deal, never done a bigger deal in Asia ex Japan for a football federation. And um, I was able to walk right in, not saying it was easy, but I was able to walk right into Bangkok, set up shop for three weeks there, have an office across the street with about 100 people that are buying on behalf of brands, doing work on behalf of media companies, and all the data, all that domestic data about every channel, linear or digital, every telco, every broadband, consumption, GDP, disposable income, trend analysis. No, candidly, while the others that are in this space are super good, and many are close friends and mentors of mine, no one can beat us on the data part. Right. And, and, and so that has been the big differentiator for, for us. And, and to your second point, which is a really good point, question is, have we hit that inflection point? Like, is there too much data? And how do we how do we normalize the data? Um, because it, an engagement on Twitter is very different in terms of value to an eyeball on Peacock, which is very different to an eyeball on USA Network, which is very different than an eyeball on NBC free to air. Um, and amongst the the, the digital platforms, people are measuring average minute audience actually differently, even though it says mm-hmm. average minute audience, just average minute audience uh, engagement impressions. There's so much that, that, that they, they just measure different. YouTube measures different than Hulu. Hulu measures different than Netflix. Netflix measures different uh, than Facebook. And, and so we, we are uniquely at the benefit where we can help to take the different languages and call it currencies, if you will, and build some really sophisticated modeling to standardize all of those different impressions, or views, or engagements to uh, to make to make it more universal.
1: So Dan, we're sitting here early April, twenty twenty one. If we were sitting here early April, twenty twenty, and early April, twenty twenty two, what are some of the biggest lessons from your point of view that have been learned or surprised you in the last year. And then going forward, what are some of the things that you've seen, especially around analytics that you think are going to change other than the obvious ones, gambling, esports, gaming? um, What are some of the other kind of unique things? Because you've had a pretty unique point of view on a lot of things that has come true in the last year. Mm -hmm. um, Also kind of what you're looking at going forward.
0: So I'll, I'll I'll lead with like the most generic and you guys will roll your heads because it just, it it needs to be said, but it's been said 500 times by every commissioner and every, you know, media boss out there. Uh, What prior to COVID and now towards hopefully the end of COVID, what stood out to me is just how powerful sports are uh, and, and how much they drive community, engagement, viewership, and just generally dollars. Um, you know, when sports was shut off there for a while, it was incredible to see what the return was like. I mean, let, let take the NWSL for example. When I mean, we're talking about six hundred and sixty thousand people tuning into a National Women's Soccer League match, the league had the best opener. I mean, they, their their viewership was through the roof. Um, social causes. I mean, we were in the middle of if you, if you guys. It's Sometimes I, 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 um, I forget how COVID overlaid with the Black Lives Matter movement, all the social injustices, uh, but players getting back on the field, kneeling, and putting important messages on their, on their kits and their jerseys, um, it really reminded me, and I think the great all of us that work in this industry, just how important sports is as a unifier and as a, a conduit for, for change. So that's that's the big one that I know I'm not unique to to sharing. Um, I think a lot of behaviors. I think COVID has really accelerated a lot of different behaviors. I know T R. You're gonna love this one because you I, I credit you when I use this. You've got the little copyright C circle thing when I when I use it. The highlight industrial complex. Nice. Oh, I like that. And, <laughs> right? that that's your you, everybody listening. Know where
2: to send the royalty payment.
0: Exactly, but uh,
2: in crypto though. Yeah, I'm only taking Ethereum right now. I've switched over from U.S. currency. I don't believe in it anymore.
0: <laughs> Joe, just the the change in fan behavior that it was already happening before COVID, but we we have been tracking a lot of different behavior change, behavioral changes. Uh, we actually have a PhD psychologist as part of our group looking at um, the the human behavior change uh, around media and what what we found is that while sports are still being consumed at pretty much the same level, in some ways, even more, uh, depending on what metric you're using, it's being consumed entirely differently. The days of of sitting down and watching a three hour NFL game uh, or a three hour, potentially longer baseball game um, are less fans are doing so, but the increase in catching highlights and engaging with highlights and the next frontier, which will be customizing highlights uh, and personalizing highlights, uh, has rapidly grown, and I think a lot faster. And I think you have that in tandem with cord cutting accelerated during COVID, tremendously. Uh, by the end of the next NFL media rights deal, you're going to have less than 50 million homes that have a uh, a cable box. So um, that you know the, the you know transformation of how we consume content. Has been another key one, and and the other one um, is the rise and recognition of women's sports mm-hmm. has really taken off over uh, over the last eighteen months, um, as it rightfully should be.
1: So, so we have a personal kind of rule. Actually, I have a personal rule where I refer to it now as athletes who happen to be women versus women's sports, because I think that term is going to go away. But the the other thing, just to follow up on what you just said, Dan, when do you get to the point where You know, we are right now, we're doing this the weekend of the final four, both final fours. Um, But when you get to the point where you see numbers that people post about, oh, NCA numbers are down. When do you get to the point where you say stop and stop using that? Because the measurement tool that they are using is like saying, oh, you know, I'm going to go buy some shoes for my horse and go to a blacksmith. So, so ha- when do you see that changing and how does that affect clients who come to you and say, oh, the numbers are down, when in reality, the consumption is actually up. And then Tom, that was my one yeah. question. Yeah, yeah no, that's a good question. Yeah.
0: Joe, you're so spot on. Uh, so first of all, i the answer. First of all, for, for everyone out there that's like texting, tweeting, writing, oh, Elite Eight down 45%. The Elite Eight's down 45%, you moved it from a Saturday and a Sunday to a Monday and a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you don't have zion williamson playing on duke like, there are factors here like we have to address we're still in the middle of a global pandemic and schedules are going to be shifted and changed there's a material difference with being home on a sunday afternoon and catching uh gonzaga play versus being home on a tuesday when even though we're home we're working it's it is a normal work day in many ways it's a longer work day so i you know, I think there's a lot of noise out there. People love to rail on ratings and, and the drop in ratings over the past uh, 12 months. Uh, show me another type of content that draws the eyeballs that sports does, period. Uh, so to your other point, I would say that th- that's exactly that's my job right there, Joe. If like you just explained it is Banging on a desk, even though we we come out hugging with ESPN and with the uh, Bn and and Fox and NBC and CBS and global media companies as well to say no no no, we're not looking at this like it's 2015. We're not doing a, a straight shot uh, Nielsen grounded valuation on these rights for property X Y or Z because that that misses. 30% of the vote, maybe in some cases, 50% of the vote. And, and, it's, and it's on you, we'll help you do it. The league will help you do it. The team will help you do it. Octagon can too to help you monetize that other 30, 40% that you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not putting into your calculation for how much these rights are worth. But gone are the days where a simple media rights valuation should be conducted based on ratings and viewership. I mean that's freaking crazy when you see the types of numbers that are coming out um, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snap and now TikTok and Clubhouse and and the list is going to triller and like we can just keep going. Um, th- those are dollar signs, folks. So just because you've never had to do that before, because you're looking at it like it's 1999 on how you cut your, your media rights deals. Um, we're often educating the other side on how to properly assess value and then actualize the revenue.
2: So Dan, there was a deal back in January that when I asked, get your opinion on, I was on Clubhouse last week and I realized there was a, uh, an open room hosted by the Delta, our Delta Trey friends, including Jeff and Carla, And it was about OTT streaming. So I jumped in and um, I'm listening and it was about deal making, kind of like this conversation. And the NFL deal had just been announced and NHL before that. So um, someone made a point about sports gambling, the legalization of sports betting being a big boost to live viewing, which has been, a theme in this business now for since 2018 with the with the SCOTUS decision. Mm-hmm. So I thought of this deal that I'm going to refer tell you about in a second or mention in a second. And I said, you know what? I got to speak up here. So I raised my hand, clicked the hand button, and they invited me to the stage, as it's called. And when it was my turn, they said, uh, Tom Richardson, do you have something to say? You know, welcome, Tom. They knew who I was. And I said, Yeah. I said, Are you guys um are are you guys aware of the deal that the PGA Tour did in January? It didn't get a lot of pickup with FanDuel Sportsbook. Do you know the deal I'm talking about, Dan? So this is a deal where the PGA Tour licensed highlights to FanDuel to be used real-time, essentially, give or take, in the Sportsbook app. Meaning, you know, put two and two together, if you're gambling on golf, you don't necessarily have to be watching the live golf contest on NBC or CBS or wherever. Uh, and I said, I said, so I said, guys, I, I'm just throwing out there for discussion. I, it seems to me that maybe that could undermine the actual live viewing on the main platform where they extract more value, which would be the broadcast.
0: Uh, yeah, and I think that's a really good point you bring up. It's a very delicate balance for a league to walk. Because you, you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you. Right. With the PGA Tour you don't want to bite, you know NBC's hand there, um, and so and and their other partners. Um, but it is inevitable that live audiovisual rights are going to be embedded in these betting apps. I mean, just hop on a flight and go to London, and you'll see half of whatever company it is and whatever office building it is, half the floor. Are watching, you know, their their four by six inch audiovisual feed on on their Ladbrokes or you know Bet three six five or whatever it is that they're using uh, website or on their phone. So I think I, I actually think off off screen, off main screen, off linear screen, um, the betting will be a big audiovisual rights will be a big deal for for betting shops. But I also think that the and we're actually I can't necessarily talk about which house it is but we're working on a lot of audiovisual rights strategy acquisition strategy for one of them um i think the media companies the sports broadcasters sports media companies in the us have done a really smart job about aligning themselves with a with a partner to ensure they keep a lot of that in house right so be it william hill caesars and cbs points bet and nbc esbn and draft kings um Turner, I think, actually has a DraftKings and maybe a fanDuel um, relationship. And so, and, and Fox with, with their own, right? Some have built, some have bought their strategy moving forward, but they're they're gonna at least keep that in-house. What becomes interesting is when you are off, off the, the, the feed, the, the broadcast feed, and you are going to a standalone product like a pen gaming. Right, a bar school. When Bar school starts to acquire some exclusive live rights is when it gets interesting or when FanDuel or DraftKings that aren't, um, you know, tied into a, a broadcaster with, through equity and other things. So that, that, is a, uh, that is the next frontier for sure, where you're going to have DraftKings and FanDuel and um, the score th- maybe. The score, yeah. yeah, and pen yeah. gaming, and and bedm MG, sugar play
2: sugar house, all of them
0: start to go directly to leagues and say, hey, what are you doing with with x y and z? We're not working on this project, uh, so I can talk about it. But I I think it's really fascinating the opportunity that MLB has with ESPN walking away from their weeknight package. their it's semi exclusive weeknight package that. They they no longer are going to uh, to have so what do you do with that? RSNs broadcast that content on a local level, so by by the very definition of exclusivity, it's no longer exclusive. But you you do have around 150 million dollars worth of media rights there, where you've got a national package. So who takes that? Either a digital player takes that, or a betting shop takes that and says, if you want, if you don't live within that market and you want to watch the Yankees play the, the Texas Rangers, and you don't live in Dallas Fort worth area or the New York tri-state area. The only place you can watch that is on and name one of the companies we just made on. So now you can bet on it, but as a vehicle to drive subscribers, as a vehicle to drive Customers, sports has always been used as a driver, be it for a telco or for a social media company or anything. So why is it going to be any different for any of these independent, non-affiliated, or non-owned by a media company and network betting shops? I, I, and you know, it'll be a big part of the problem. Just a quick
2: follow-up, Joe. Um, but if you if you obviate the need for engaged fans to watch the live broadcast provide them the best of, meaning you're stripping out the advertising, they're just getting truly what affects their gam- their gambling interest, Yep. then aren't you shooting yourself in the foot because for every lost rating point, you're not necessarily going to make that up with equivalent dollars necessarily in those licensing deals. I know this is getting a little wonky, but it's a really interesting question.
0: Well, I what, what, what I'm sure that the commissioner and, you know, Jay Monaghan and Rick Anderson and Chris Wandell and the folks at the PGA tour thought about was, you know, what's the, what's the value proposition here? How much are we getting paid upfront minimum rights fees from uh FanDuel? That's FanDuel, right? Yeah. yeah. From FanDuel for this. And can we get a better offer to include these rights with our traditional media partner? And clearly they couldn't. Yeah. Um, and so if I'm, let's just use NBC again, I'm, I'm, I don't love that plan, but I wasn't willing to pay for those rights. Um, and so PGA Tour, I mean that, without going into details, PGA Tour got paid well by FanDuel for, yeah. for those rights. So they'll, they'll more than make up for it. But here's the other thing I would say too, PGA Tour is not, not stupid. No, a lot of smart people work there. They're gonna make sure that, and, and, and so is, let's just use NBC again. So is NBC, right? They're gonna make sure that that product on Linear is vastly different than the product that FanDuel gets. Mm-hmm. Be it the amount of content, be it the coverage, the commentary, the graphics—all of that is going to be a very different experience. And for your hardcore fan, um, and even probably your 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 just average fan, they're going to still tune into the linear broadcast.
1: Dan, um, we've seen in the last. I don't know, a couple of weeks, obviously, the new Amazon NFL deal, the NHL taking an equity stake in a gambling property. Um, as you look to, as brands or as, brands, as leagues with rights or anybody with rights globally, start to look for more revenue streams and keep cutting up the pie. What are some of those unique verticals? Streaming could be one of them, but even more granular than that, that people will say, we're going to go sell this part of our rights. And nobody has thought about this. Like, you know, we're going to sell, you know, the, NF, the NBA is going to be the first team to sell their rights to Mars, you know, something like that, you know?
0: Well, um, Joe, it's funny you say that. I, I was talking with a friend of mine who runs Meteorites for one of the big five leagues here in the U.S. And we were joking that by the end of the NFL deal, we could all be potentially watching another sport, you know, so I'm using 2032 as example. By 2032, we might all be watching the world series on our Tesla monitors in our cars, right? Like who, like you're right. It it is. That's what makes this industry. That's why I love being in the industry. I'm in because it's always changing. And over the last five years, it's, it's changing at like 500 miles a minute. Uh, But I, but in terms of growth uh, for leagues today and and carving up rights more and getting uh, a, a bit more creative in how they package their rights, International is key, you know, for a long time, uh, the, the big domestic leagues in the U S through the, through international rights in as like a, a freebie or they'd, or they did just sell it off to an agency who would package it as part of a portfolio. And then they'd go sell it on as a third party. Truly in the last like 15 months or so, I've been really impressed with leagues, recognizing the value of their international rights and bringing in-house counsel and in-house expertise, uh, working with agencies such as Octagon to help them figure out what that strategy is, going and playing more games internationally, opening up offices internationally, localizing content, providing graphics and commentary, Going out and hiring influencer marketers in different territories to create podcasts and and, and radio and campaigns. So, I think the the, the international front will continue to get a lot of investment from the smart leagues um, and will continue to, and and within that, it'll continue to get split up even more. Um, I think another one is a lot of what you're going to see as technology is increasing, you're going to see a lot of rights get carved up in terms of how they are produced. So virtual signage, right? Virtual feeds, alternative feeds, alternative commentary, uh, the ability to customize and have a, a, a group hang to watch. You're gonna see a lot of technology improvements, innovations, and that in and of itself, you're gonna have, you know, your tried and true linear distribution, solid feed as a package. Then you're gonna be able to sell the virtual and AR package. Then you're gonna be able to sell the clubhouse version of it. Then you're gonna be able to sell um, uh, the 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 one with enhanced interactivity where you can pick and choose different things uh, and overlays and stats and ecom. So I think you're gonna see a lot of technology sl- slice and dice rights even more so. And then the last part where I think you're going to see rights get split up a bunch uh, is really around language. So in the U.S. today, we've got primarily English language and Spanish language. But as the world's getting smaller and there's migration and mass migration moving all across the world, you're going to see a lot of platforms pop up, probably at first digital, that are going to appeal to that minority group that may speak a different language, and so you would never have thought prior to the terrible crisis in, in Syria, for example, that there could be a sports specific offering in a country like Germany that's taken in millions of Syrian refugees, uh, and there'll be there'll be Syrian language rights uh, for that property. So I think language is another one. As we become mm. a smaller globe, they'll carve up more.
2: All right, now we got to wrap up because we only have a few more minutes, I, I believe, Dan. Correct before you go to your next important meeting. Yeah. Uh, okay. So just the, just answer one, one prediction question. You don't have to expound on it. Just yes, you know, just give us the, sure the rapid
0: fire round. When when
2: w- when would you predict we see a press release about a major U.S. league selling specifically to your last point, the virtual reality rights to a major event? Uh, I think it's in the next three years. Yep, I agree with you. Thank you. That was the right answer. That was that's it. Right. That's the last question. Get. Yeah, that's the last yeah. business yeah. question.
0: Right. Here, do you see how great it is? As long as you agree with Tom, you're right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I
2: love interviews like this. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, uh, I, I find
2: that fascinating because everybody's been doing uh, kind of little tests and forays, but you know it's coming. Um, and I agree with you, I think in the next few years, that'll be, that'll be a whole new thing to your last really important point about how you keep slicing this up to, as you answer Joe's question. Anyway, just to finish up Dan quickly, since we're pretty much out of time, the two usual questions we ask everybody, you're a consultant, you gotta look like the at least one of the smartest guys in the rooms that you're walking into, how do you keep up? How do you stay smart? That's the first question, the second's about career advice.
0: Uh, Read just read, read and talk to people that are way smarter than you and also hire people that are way smarter than you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a lesson very early learned uh, and, and bestowed upon me starting out working for the Washington Nationals and then at Bloomberg as well. Working around you guys there, I definitely learned a ton. Um, the reading part is huge. You, you need to put aside <clears throat> two hours a day, easy. Uh, and it, it, it can be when you're taking your dog for a walk and you're scrolling through Twitter, it can be making sure that you've got whatever preferred news source on in the background um, and that you're, you're, you know, you're consuming information through audio then at that point, just making sure that you're always learning. I think a lot of people, especially you know, as you two who are professors at a, a super prestigious university where people from all over the world come to learn about how to work in sports. There's a lot of, I'm surprised, like when I come and guest lecture for you guys sometimes, I'm surprised at some of these students that they're like, I I only follow like 20 people on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what? what? Yeah. That's that's crazy. Um, So you gotta read. And then the third part, uh, you gotta surround yourself by smart people. You gotta read and you gotta get out and talk to people. And I know it's really hard with COVID, but there's this awesome thing called video conference and we're all home and for the most part people are friendly in our business they'll take your 15 minute call make it worth their time maybe maybe go into that meeting be it with the chief commercial officer at fifa or with the head of acquisitions at cbs sports and and maybe share with them a little bit about what what you're working on or what you see mm-hmm. uh, make those conversations meaningful for both parties and don't be afraid to reach out um, and, and make those connections because you're going to you're, you're bound to learn through those relationships. Cool. Nice. Well, that the was, answer actually, was I going to say that was a
2: combo it. answer. Well, well done, Dan Cohn. Um, we'll, 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 what was that? A two for one. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, I want to encourage all the listeners to follow Dan on Twitter. There, real There's at Dan Cohn, but more importantly, there's another Dan Cohn. Another Dan Cohn. This is is the one you want to follow. Another Dan Cohn. He's got a a nice Twitter game going. And you make a good point about Twitter. I say this all the time. Just find the smartest people, companies, research firms that are out there. Let them feed you knowledge all day long, every day. Um, It's it's a simple hack to stay smart. And I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Dan, anything else you want to mention, specifically in terms of... uh, Learning more about Octagon or you or anything promotional you want to push
0: right now. I've got no agenda, Tom. I just wanted to. <laughs> I, I just wanted to hang with you. Are you just-
2: publishing a book or anything like that, or selling an NFT anytime soon?
0: Uh, <laughs> hey, did you guys catch Saturday Night Live? Skit? Oh, that was awesome. That,
1: <laughs> that was so it was. Awesome. It was. Most people listening to this won't know what Schoolhouse Rock was, but that right. was Schoolhouse Rock of 2021.
2: And so. also some old
1: school Eminem
2: without yeah. me like oh, one of his great songs lyrically he, that's a he that did was it. really
0: well done he yeah. did it and absolutely killed it i yeah. think the next time that we chat if it is another three years on on the pod we can do it tom with our oculus headsets on i'll i'll be you know somewhere on a sandy beach under an umbrella because i'm a little pale where, where are you going to be joe where would you be if we're in vr world in three years
1: uh, i will be um you're center court. Exactly where I am right now. I'm not moving anywhere, so I'll pretend I, I, I I'm. I'm going to be
2: like I'm on the west coast of Ireland, over the yeah. sea, like smoking a pipe and you know reading <laughs> books. I like that. <laughs> yeah,
0: I thought Joe. I thought Joe was going to tell me he'd be center court at at the Knicks championship game that they're that they win. No, no, no,
2: no. We're talking about reality, so <laughs> <laughs> we're not virtual. Yeah. Uh, well, Dan, uh, thank you so yeah. much for spending time with us. You know, you're very busy um it was really great to get some insights from you on this it's it's a such a fascinating topic right now and, and you made a good point about how um exciting it is that things are moving so quickly and uh it, it's always been nice to watch you embrace all that change and really grow with it uh which i think has been served you quite well career-wise so so kudos on the way you uh you handle yourself in the business it's it's really nice to be uh, friends
0: with you thank you same I learned a lot from you guys, I continue to do so every day.